David, it's so great to be able to chat with you. I've known you and your family, your brothers, 15 years, I think. And then uh, a couple of years ago, had the honor to be able to officiate your brother's wedding in uh, New Zealand. And, uh, And that was just such a fantastic experience. Good to see you on here. And I'm so, so honored to be able to chat with you in St. Louis. And uh, I'm in Perth. We probably couldn't be further apart uh, in terms of time zones or distance. It's true. Thank God for the power (laughs) of technology, right? It is. It is. Hey, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. So David Alexander, I'm um, co-founder of Social Origin with my brother, Daniel. And uh, we just realized that there was a lot of stories to share and connect around. So we actually launched our podcast show uh, last year. And then we had some CEOs come to us and ask us, you know, can you help us uh, with our content and, and getting their podcast shows launched? So there's a lot of different things we do, but um, essentially it's really centered around podcasting and marketing for uh, companies in the digital age. So I'm more of the sales strategy end here in the U.S. and Dale's um, really uh, the creative genius behind, behind the brand that we're building. That's incredible. And that's, that's an amazing thing to say about your brother, that he's a creative genius. And now, it, and now it's on tape too. So we've got that recorded. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. I give him, you know, it's, it took me a while to take the humble pill, but I said, you know what, let me sell the stuff and you, you know, do work some magic. Yeah. <laughs> Now, we go back a long way, and uh, we're having a conversation at a time where the news worldwide, including here in Australia, is showing a lot of what's going on in America. Um, We're seeing protests. We're seeing um, uh, police uh, brutality. We're seeing that on uh, all forms of social media at the same time. And, and, you know, I really just wanted to have a conversation with you. I want to have a conversation with you about this. I think for me... This has, over the last two weeks, brought up a lot of emotions for me. Mm. And, um, yeah, yeah. and it's been interesting because I've been trying to nail down why I have all of these emotions. I, my experiences are quite different from the average person who isn't African-American. Yeah. Um, just because my history, as you would know, and how we got connected in the first place was, yeah, almost 15 years ago, I decided to move to the United States and didn't really know too much about uh, the demographics, the uh, cultural uh, landscape. I didn't know any of those things. I've just come from Australia and yep. moved over there thinking it was exactly the same as over here where I've grown up. And I moved to where you're at right now in St. Louis and decide to start some school programs. And so at first it seems like, wow, I was really, you know, everything seemed quite normal to me. And then suddenly I started to realize, hang on a sec, this is really, really, really different from where I've grown up. And I had no idea. And uh, you and your brother were, I think, the first uh, to start coming along to any type of programs that um, I was doing with our team. And um, I still remember the two of you coming over to my house. And and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to play basketball with these guys. And in my head, I'm thinking, I remember how good I was in high school. 
And then I started dribbling the ball around and playing out the front of my house. And you guys just started jumping a lot higher than I could <laughs> remotely move. And, <laughs> and so, um, you know, I have some really fond memories of you guys. And, but, you know, my journey from there, then over the couple of years, it didn't take long before it then drastically changed. Yeah. And I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, his name's John Bevere, and um, he'd come to St. Louis and we're having coffee at Starbucks. And he said to me, he just felt in his heart, he wanted to tell me something. And he said to me, Jeremiah, I just really feel like you're in the wrong place. Um, I don't think you really understand where you've moved and you're in the wrong place. And I didn't realize what that really meant. But as the next wow. year and a half started to unfold, I really, really got it. And um, because I had never understood the concept of even the, the, the simplicity of this, I didn't understand white church, black church. I didn't understand white neighborhood, black neighborhoods. I didn't understand that. And so to cut to the chase, I had moved to a location, cornfields, I was the only person of color that I knew of uh, around anywhere. And I had set up a performing arts theater and business and church and nonprofit in the middle of this area. And I remember that there were literally protests, people standing with placards saying things that I thought you only said in the 1960s yeah. against me. And there were things that were written about me, calling me the end pastor and, um, you know, bussing in, you know, derogatory names of people from the community, uh, from these type of communities into this area. And I couldn't believe that this was even happening. I had no, no idea. And, yeah. um, and so from there, uh, going through this whole journey, it was something that, um, really, really shocked me to my core. And, yeah. um, and I guess I wanted to chat with you because St. Louis is an interesting place and you're, uh, you're still there and you're, you're living it. And I just yeah. wanted to, you know, <laughs> tell me some stories yeah. and tell me what you've experienced and yeah. has anything changed over the last 10 years? Oh man. Well, first of all, thank you for, uh, have me on and the impact you've had on me and Daniel and obviously, you know, Daniel, you know, moved to Australia in a lot of ways, being inspired and connected with the community as a result of you, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I've been able to experience, you know, uh, uh, that beautiful, your, your beautiful country. And, um, and I do apologize for the experience that you had to have in St. Louis, uh, mm -hmm. that it wasn't a welcoming embrace, um, that it wasn't, uh, because it's the way you were treated was not the way that any human being should be treated. Um, and, um, you know, the challenge is unfortunate. I can't say over the last 10 years, much has changed. It's one of those things where the reality is for me, a lot of my, my, a lot of the places that I've been at have been in, places of where people have position and power to create change. And I'm not seeing the leadership to create change. Um, and so 
what we're looking at, unfortunately, is a lot of passive aggressive leadership. So, so, you know, stripping down all this stuff, when we strip down all the riots, all of the pain people are going through, all of this is people crying out for leadership and crying out for love. That's what it comes down to. Um, it's people feeling like they don't have a voice because they don't have a voice. Um, and those des- those desperate people are on the streets, they're rioting, they're looting, and it impacts the, the economy. It has so many negative implications. So for me, like when I look at my story, you know, um, you know, I feel like I actually, uh, a lot of it, I uh, kind of would numb over time and uh, having experience, I was just talking to somebody today, like I was talking, you know, uh, I did a nice post. Okay. This is to give you an example of how passive aggressive people can be in the racial challenges people have. Um, I did a nice post, uh, at my last corporate job because I have brought in a, a group of young people to our company and mm-hmm. I was just showing them this is a company and this is, this is uh, you know, where you can learn and grow. And I said, you know, I said, this is, and I did a post on LinkedIn. I said, this is a great space for people. Um, or, or I said, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share space with young people to show them a different perspective as a black man, right. That they could see that they see so much negative media around black people. Yeah. I wanted to be able to show a different uh, uh, you know, voice. And, and that was a positive, non-threatening post, right? Yeah. I get a message. I get a, uh, I, I have a conversation with an executive, um, powerful executive, very influential over a, uh, you know, billion dollar company. And uh, he said, yeah, I saw you're doing something with, you know, diversity inclusion or something like that. Like, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about, man? <laughs> yeah, I saw something about something about that, and, and and he was offended. And he goes, you know, um, he goes, you know, uh, you know. Well, I mean, you know, diversity and inclusion—that's really just, you know, that's just a a, a, a quota. I mean, how did, how sick and disgusting is that? Wow. I mean, I can't even do a post promoting sharing diversity with kids and people not be offended. Wow. So offended that they would push and demand and say, well, you know, I mean, really, you know, I mean, there's just, it's just a numbers game. I mean, it's not really like, yes, but that's the reality. I mean, I appreciate him being real with me, I guess. But the problem is that does not move the conversation forward. So there's just so many challenges, you know, from the police I've experienced, you know, my first experiences was, I was at a pool and, um, you know, me and my brothers are playing and this is our first encounter remembering uh, really the, uh, the fact that we were different than other people. And we're just playing around with the kids and I wanted to play around with a couple of kids. And, and they said, uh, we, we can't play with you. He said, why? Because, because you're black. Wow. And, and it's just, this is the diverse community. One of the diverse, more diverse communities in St. Louis and, you know, that's the type of thing. So there's just story after story. But I'm very interested in, you know, I'm a very solutions-oriented individual. And so my thing is, you know, I am calling on the leaders of the communities, the leaders, because it, what happens is people think that this stuff doesn't, you know, impact them. Well, guess what? When stuff explodes 
because of a lack of leadership, it impacts the entire global economy. It's bad PR. It's bad economics. It's bad for your business. It's bad for the next generation. It's all bad. And so people are passive and leaders are passive that are running, you know, small businesses to billion dollar companies. And they're not actively looking at how to create change and love people and lead people. We see this and it's, it's, it's unfortunate that it keeps happening, but we have to get real with each other. So yeah. let me ask you, let me ask you this, Jeremiah. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I've learned, I've heard some of your story, but I just want to know just even more details around um, some of the racial challenges that you experience as an outsider coming in, because what I, what I feel is, you know, you know, I've had my experience, but it feels even worse to have someone that's coming out that should be welcome in mm. and not, not to be embraced. Well, so I moved over there and this would have been probably the first encounter I had with me being treated different. And um, my ex and their family um, were from the southern part of Illinois. And so I had uh, no understanding of that area. I had no understanding of what those towns were like. I didn't understand the demographics of that that area, um, those townships in that region. And um, then I started to notice after a little while there were little anomalies even within the family gatherings when I went to different events or how come I didn't meet this person or how come I didn't meet that person. And uh, eventually it was communicated to me that it's because of the fact that you're not white. And because you're not white, um, look, it's just better we don't push it. We don't try to meet. We, you know, they're not going to want to meet you. They have a history of this. Um, And so I'm hearing this and I'm just like, whoa, like this has never happened to me in my entire life. So this has got nothing to do with um, my vocation. This has nothing to do with my education. This has nothing to do with my beliefs. This is exclusively because the color of my skin is not white. And that was probably the first um, interaction I had um, with being treated in a way that I had never been treated in my entire life. And so as time starts to progress, I begin to then notice little things and some of them are just a a little bit under the surface, but some things are really obvious. And so when people start calling you really extreme derogatory names publicly, um, then those are the obvious things. And it got so bad for me that even though I had a, um, a large organization in that region and in that area, I stopped going to the grocery store and the restaurants in that area. I would drive from Columbia and I would go to West County or Chesterfield just to go do my grocery shopping because I felt uncomfortable where I was. And that was the, that was how I felt. And I think fast forward a little bit. And then, um, 
I get entangled into a path that I had no understanding of. I've never committed a crime. I've never been arrested before. I've never been involved in any of those things. I've never, uh, you know, I've sort of grown up the son of missionary parents. And then all of a sudden, I'm found being investigated by police. And as time progresses, I find myself locked up in East St. Louis, and I am put into a wing where there is only African-American men. And I'm a big guy. These guys made me feel like I was a little guy. They were big guys, right? And um, I, I'm locked up in this wing with them. And I think over the period of time that I was there, which would have, was about six months, there was only um, maybe once or twice somebody who was Hispanic or somebody that was white came in for a very short period of time, around a week, and then bam, they were taken out and they were isolated as well. So I'm just in a wing with African-American men. I'll never forget this one time that, because what's happening now in America, nothing's new about this. There was, um, there's been protests before, there's been, um, people shot, which shouldn't have been shot. Ferguson, Missouri is not very far. I mean, this whole thing kicked up while I am in an East St. Louis lockup. And, yeah. and I still remember one of the guys who was in there who became a friend of mine. I was friends with all of them. And he yelled at one of the guards and he said, Black Lives Matter. And as the guards walking away, he yells out something, and I think this would probably be the best description for me of the rhetoric and the language that is used. And he replied back, blue lives matter too. And I just thought to myself, that wasn't the statement. That's not the question. No one is asking whether it's an either or situation here. Right, 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 right. And right. that... That, to me, highlighted uh, really what's going on. And, yeah. um, and, you know, I went through that whole experience and it was really challenging for me. And to be honest, this was hindsight. I really felt like God took me through all of that just so that I had an understanding. It was really painful. But I feel like I appreciate what's going on right now from a couple of different perspectives that not necessarily everyone else has. When I yeah. went to court in East St. Louis, the judge literally used this phrase and he said to me, if we can get Osama bin Laden, we can get you. Wow. My now God. you tell me what the heck do I have to do with Osama bin Laden? And wow. there, there is just no connection here. But you're in a town with people who have deep-seated um, prejudice and their assumptions of me, even though they don't know I'm an outsider. Not necessarily, I'm sure that judge knew, but I mean, not everybody looking at me, they can't really work out what, what, what's going on here. Yeah. Um, other than the fact that my skin is brown. Um, there was a, just yesterday we had family lunch and at my mom's house, we're talking about what's going on right now. And my parents revealed to me something that I didn't know. My dad uh, has very dark skin. And so they moved over with our family um, to the United States. And so they had an experience where they were driving in Southern Illinois yeah. and um, right. they were just driving 
and not paying attention to really anything. They're just staying in their lane. And a police uh, vehicle was on the other lane. And so my parents didn't speed up or slow down. They just continued their speed. And so they just continued along. And so suddenly the sirens went off. And my mom's telling me this yesterday. And she said the sirens went off and they got pulled over. And the police officer, um, a white officer, he, he comes around to my dad's side, the driver's side. And um, he says, um, why didn't you slow down? And my dad was like, oh, I didn't realize I, I, I needed to. I'm just driving. You didn't see our car? Oh, no, I didn't. You know, I'm really sorry. I didn't notice. Uh, was I doing anything? Uh, and and um, the, the officer just blatantly said to him, the next time you do this, you're going to jail. And my parents, till now, you're talking about 15 years later, wow. right, are, are, are still scarred by this experience of, not knowing what they even did in the first place. Right. What people don't understand, which are from a different culture or from a different country completely, is that experience with the lady in Central Park with the dogs, we basically have the recording on social media and online right now, is her dogs were not on a leash. They're supposed to be on a leash, but they're not on right. a leash. And then this African-American gentleman is basically saying to her, your dogs need to be on a leash. She loses it and she threatens and attempts to call 911. And basically what she's saying is that I'm going to call the police. Um, I'm going to say you're assaulting me. I'm going to say that you're doing this to me and you know what happens. So what's interesting about that is she knows what happens when you call the police on a person of color. Yeah. She knows what happens. Right. And, um, and I guess, that is what I didn't know. I didn't know. My only interactions with police or government my entire life has been in cooperation, in support. I've never, ever been on an opposing side before. Yeah. And so, you know, to kind of circle back to something that you said, you said it starts with leadership. And I think a practical thing that leadership does is uses words. Right. Yeah. Now, I know words without action is really empty and seems dead, but you got to start somewhere and it starts with yeah. words. And I think yeah. the problem is whether it is with Blue Lives Matter also or whether it is with a social media post, ultimately words are a great beginning place. Yeah. And what I found is I went through all of this. I know for a fact, I know for a fact that I was um, judged harshly and treated harshly because of my color. I know it. I know it for a fact. I know that here in Australia and in America, that what I ultimately went to prison for should have been a civil lawsuit at best. Yeah. Never should have been a criminal case in the first place. Yeah. But when people know that they can use the judicial system and they know they can use the political system to get a result that would treat a person of color completely different than if the roles were reversed, right, right, right. they're going to use yeah. it. They're going to use yeah. it. And, um, and that was the experience that happened for me. And so I go through all of that. And when it comes to words, I came out and I think 
one of the things that probably startled me the most was the inflections of voice, the subtle words um, of, yeah, I know your story, but what's the full story? And, but why, or how did you end up in that situation? And see, this is the problem, is the questions when people see these protests and see what's going on or saw that video of George Floyd is, oh, but, but what happened before that video? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, those are the wrong words. Those are the, that's the wrong question. Right, no, yeah, it's so true. And I, and I feel like the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the biggest pieces um, that you said there, right, was that your parents were literally, they weren't slowing down for the cops, right? What was that? That was the cop saying, you should have fear of me. Yeah. You should have yeah. fear of me because of the town that you're in. And if you don't respect, right, re respect my authority yeah. and slow down, then we will, we will take care of you next time. And, um, yeah. you know, and it's, it's disgusting because it is that position of power. It's that position of, of uh, instilling fear. Um, and I think people don't understand, um, you know, the impact that it, this has on, you know, that you, like you said, that scarred your, scarred your parents, right? 15 years ago. Yeah. And yeah, they're coming to, to our country, bringing enterprise, bringing commerce, you're, you're bringing right. A business you're bringing community impact. You're bringing, you know, impact for, yeah. for me as a, as an African-American in America, you're bringing impact towards me and other people for kids that they're, yeah. that they're not, impacting right and yeah. losing sight of all that because of hatred bigotry and systemic mindsets that have needed to die for years they weren't able to see the gift that you were creating and bringing to the table and that's the thing that i think is so disheartening about this entire situation is that people don't think about what the impact is on the economy, on the family, and on the community because of the lack of leadership that continues to perpetually have. I, when I talk to CEOs, and my thing that's so challenging is I've, I connect more CEOs, billion, billion dollar, run billion dollar, million dollar companies than anybody. Um, and it is, I, I don't have a lot of hope. My last corporate job, I, I dealt with a lot of people in the philanthropy space, right? That their whole mm. job is to give away money. And I got ghosted and I wasn't even asking them for money. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like the craziest thing. It's like, you know, it's like one company at one organization I know is like, they're, they're trying to give away $1.3 billion. I think something like that before this guy dies, you know, they're, they, you know, people have these initiatives where they try and give away yeah. all this money before they die or whatever. The whole organization is white to try and impact black people. It, it, that, <laughs> this stuff does not make sense. I'm like, why? Like, it's like if it's like if I decided to start start a company. I, I decided I'm going to start a company, and you know, I'm going to impact. Uh, you know, I'm going to impact the Latin community, but you know, I don't I don't want them to, you know, to say anything about how we how we make the salsa. Stupid. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's what we're dealing true. with. The people do not. I love that you said this word. People don't think and they, they have, you know, communication is really, really key. People don't have an understanding of empathy. These these buzzwords in business, emotional intelligence, they are failing. Yeah. Failing across the board. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know, and and everybody likes to post about equality and <laughs> it's it is failing. It absolutely is failing. And you know what? As painful as it was for me, I'm so grateful mm. that um, I was locked up in East St. Louis. I, I just read a report the other day. It's an FBI report on the most violent cities in America. Number one from 2019 last year was East yeah. St. Louis and number five was St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. And what was interesting is uh, this article continued to say that if you lived in East St. Louis, you were 19 times more likely to experience murder in your family. Wow. And uh, 19 times more likely. I mean, as you know, that suburb is 15 minutes away, 10 minutes away from really nice yeah. areas. And you've got something going on in this community which it, it, it boggles yeah. your mind. And, and I suppose that's the problem because you've got issues that are generational. Yeah. And we're not talking about gross criminality here. We're not saying don't lock up the murderer. We're not saying don't lock up the sexual abuser. We're not saying any yeah. of that. What we're saying is that justice is not equal in America. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not equal in America. And I remember being locked up and a guy next to me that I talked to every single day Great guy, Anthony, and um, really remorseful for being in the situation that he was in. He's in there for selling three grams of heroin, three grams, right? Firstly, in Australia, that amount is a very small amount. It's actually a small amount in America as well, but he's in there, he's locked up. And I'm thinking to myself, in Australia, your, your sentencing on this would be negligible at best. He went to sentencing and came back with an 18-year sentence. 18 years. Yeah. Now, the way it works, right, is then what you have is somebody from a Western-cultured mindset and the rhetoric that is used is, yeah, but he committed a crime. But what you don't understand is in a judicial setting, there are sentencing guidelines. So someone commits a crime, let's say George Floyd committed a crime, there's a sentencing guideline for this man if he's convicted to be right, guilty. Right. Firstly, in America, when you're a person of color, you're guilty until proven innocent versus innocent until proven right, right. guilty. So he then goes into court, let's just say he's convicted, yep, charged, accepts, plead guilty. Now there's a sentencing guideline and it can be anywhere for three months to five years. Now, the problem is that when you're a person of color, as I was treated when I was in there, you're suddenly thrown the book and told that your sentence is X when a person who is not your color, yeah. is not from the part of town where you're from, yeah. is suddenly just treated and 
you know, as we've just seen in America, a person who killed eight people is taken to Burger King. Right. And there are different types of racism, David, yeah. as you could probably appreciate. You know, I, I did primary school in New Zealand. I grew up in New Zealand and um, I, my parents were missionaries in Southeast Asia. And then we moved to New Zealand and um, it was probably the first time that I was out in the school field and somebody yelled out at me and said, hey, curry muncher. Like, I've never <laughs> heard this phrase before, you know, uh, trying to put me down this way. And I was like, oh, I never, never even thought about that. I didn't even realize as a little kid, you know, you're eight years old and you think you're different. You don't think you're different. You think you're the yeah. same, just the same as you in the swimming pool. And, um, and there's, that level of, that, there's that level of racism. There's a MasterChef uh, judge here in Australia who's of Asian descent, and she's this past week in a news article saying she wishes she was blonde hair, blue eyed growing up in Australia. I understand that level of racism. What we're right, talking right. about here is not just racism. We're talking about injustice because there's a totally different conversation right. when the judicial, authoritative, political system that you're supposed to trust and lean to in times of trouble, yeah. that system puts their hands on you physically yeah. and treats you in a completely different way than you would be treated if you were not a person of color, if you were not black, if you were not brown, if you, yeah. know, if you were not Latino. Now, that is a whole different level. Yeah. And I guess that is what people from the outside right now do not understand yeah. that. Yeah, and, and I think going back to your story with the gentleman that was in the, the prison with you uh, with three grams or for distributing three grams of drugs. Um, what people don't understand, like East St. Louis. So East St. Louis had riots in their history, actually big riots that was kind of uh, really, it was um, essentially the white community rioting and the black community where they took black people and would throw them back into buildings that were burning we're talking babies murdered. So the problem is people look at this stuff and they think the looting and all this stuff like, mm, look at your history books, guys. This has been worse than this. I mean, this has been, this yeah. has been lynchings and we are reliving these pieces that have happened in history. So the white community riding on the black community. And, and, and that history is not, and that history is not very long ago. It's not. Right. It's not. And so we, we think that these that that it's, you know, whatever, 200 years ago, this is this is this is we're talking, you know, I shoot, I shoot. I remember in high school talking, uh, uh, you know, and this is in the 2000s. I don't know, 2000, probably 2007 or something like that. Uh, I remember talking to one of my uh, uh, teachers and he talked about one of his black friends. Um, running for his life from the KKK in 2003. This is in the 2000s, guys. The KKK is still around. Wow. It's turning cross and giant. Still, they're just. We just we we have to study the history. That's one of my things that's so frustrating with all this stuff happening. Is. I appreciate people coming to me and different things, but I'm like, what I really need you to do, where's my book at? Do I have it up here? Oh, I got it somewhere. I'm going to do a post later today on social media. Say, guys, please listen to me. Do you, do, this is, you want to know how you can help? You can learn. This is how you mm. can help. 
you can start to learn a history that has been a, that has been dismissed from the class books. You can you can start to understand the black experience. So it's like there's two books. There's one book that I read called Cry Like a Man. And it really goes in a deep levels of understanding emotional uh, emotional empathy for people that have gone through so much trauma in the black community. Another one is Strength mm. to Love by Dr. Martin Luther King, which is a compilation of some of his top sermons and that really gives a broader perspective. But I think if, unless we get into the history, we won't, we won't understand. So that going back to your individual in that cell with you, he sold those three grams because he needed, he was trying to survive East St. Louis. When those, when those riots hit East St. Louis, the business and the economy was obliterated. There was no business. There was no places. So people started to survive. They started to survive through finding family in gangs, through yeah. finding economy, through drugs. Right? So now the white people think, oh, well, that doesn't impact me. Well, yeah, it does. Because now that drug, those drugs are going into schools, right? They're going into the white communities for the economy because the economy is not deployed. So that's where it's being deployed feeding on that system. Okay. So we all think like, this isn't, uh, it's not attached to me. No, it is attached to you. It's not going to impact my kids. No, it is going to impact your kids. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. That's, um, and that was the story that I heard over and over and over and over again. And, um, it, I have found myself really at a loss for words during this time. Yeah. And I've gone to post something and I I moved away from it and I've gone to say something and I've moved away from it. And I guess that's why I'm having a conversation with you over there because my experience going through all of this, uh, I, I lived what it's like to be treated that way. And you're talking about three years of, maximum security lockups. There was this one experience, David. I um, <laughs> I started working out with these guys, you know, I was trying to get big. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and they had me just whipped, absolutely. We had tied this blanket from one bar of this jail cell to the other bar. And it's just a hanging blanket with as much tension as we possibly can. We're trying to do these pull-ups on this, on this blanket and um, I fell off of this blanket. You don't get shoes in there. So you you got these kind of Crocs kind of thing. And I fell off of this blanket and my foot landed on the concrete wow. and um, my big toe became like a little, little pretzel. Like it was the size of my little toe and I had I was scared to look down at it. Right. And, um, and so I'm trying to walk this thing off, but, Obviously, my toe's got a big problem here, and it's that it's munched down to the size of my little toe. And so, after a little while, you don't really want to press the call help button because all sorts of things happen in there, and there are all sorts of questions are asked about how did this happen. Da 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 da. So anyway, I um, eventually the pain's too much, and some of the other guys said you just got to press the button. So press the button. Uh, yeah, look, I, I fell out of bed. I'm sorry, and you know. I've, 
something's happened to my toe. How did, how did this happen? A whole bunch of questions, you know? And then, um, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be with you. We'll be with you soon. And then, uh, you know, waited almost an hour. I'm in pain, a lot of pain. Yeah. Press the button again after an hour. Yeah, yeah, look, look, we'll, we'll get to you. It, it took two and a half hours, right? Two and a half hours. And finally, they come and get me. I go to medic and uh, they look at it and they don't touch it. And they say, look, we can't touch it. Um, you know, doctor's going to have to look at this or something like that. So I come back and I'm still in the same condition that I was in and I'm still in a lot of pain. And in fact, I then go into a cell and Anthony, who sold the three grams, I say to him, listen, can you help me here, brother? Can you just pull my toe out? And he's like, no, I'm not, you know, that, that's, I'm not going to do that. And I said, come on, please help me. And uh, he said, all right, all right, all right. So I s- sit down next to him, put my leg up on his lap, and he's like, okay, you ready? And he just yanks on my big toe. The first go didn't do anything. And I, and I said to him, look, that didn't do anything. He's like, we can't, we can't. And I was like, do it again. And he pulled it the second time, and it popped out. Thank God. I don't know what was going to actually happen, what other alternative there was for it. And he said something to me that changed my life to this very moment. And he said, you're lucky that we could have done this. Two and a half hours, they haven't come and help you. He said, congratulations, you're black now. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, so this is what's like months and months in prison for something that is unjust. I shouldn't even be here in the first place waiting for court dates that never have happened. When I need help, it just doesn't come. That was probably one of the most profound things that actually happened to me during that period of time. And then you come out and I think you come out of that situation and I think this is probably what a lot of people who have been through experiences similar to me, you said a really key word before um, in in that first book you were describing is, is trauma. You've experienced trauma and, um, and living through these experiences is experiencing trauma. And for some reason, people are conditioned really well to deal with certain types of trauma, but this type of trauma for some reason is, I've heard this phrase recently, it's questioned and not believed. Mm. They want to know the facts. Can you, can you prove it? Uh, well, were you really treated differently? Uh, are, are you sure you didn't do anything to get yourself in that trouble? Is there any facts? Is there any statistics on this? Right. No, right. This, this is trauma. If someone experienced a form of sexual violence, right. you don't expect them to prove that trauma. Right. Yeah. You don't expect right. them yeah. to show statistics on it and to show why that trauma happened. And in fact, let's take it one step further. Your number one goal isn't try to bring reconciliation for that trauma. That's not your number one goal. Your number one goal with trauma is to be there for the traumatized. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about reconciliation. We're talking about things that are not related to it. So what you're seeing right now is people who have no vent for their trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the discussion is about is there hope? (laughs) I don't... think there's going to be much change until there's at least an acknowledgement of trauma. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's uh, I think it has to be an acknowledgement. I think there has to be a heart to listen. 
you know, if people can't listen, it's kind of like, you know, people talk about, they talk about it in counseling, right? Well, the first thing that do they have somebody willing to listen. Yeah. And then that, that's, that's probably a key part of dealing with somebody with trauma is just listen. Yep. Don't judge. Yeah. Yeah. Don't judge. Don't get all statistical. Don't get all, um, you know, well, what ha- happened and why? Well, what part did you have involved in this? No, it's just, yeah. just listen to it. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I think, and that's the reason why uh, for us with doing our podcast show, like we, we said, you know, with, as two, you know, people of color in two different parts of the world, like we we're like, we got to tell a different story. Um, I actually had yeah. an experience. Now, this is really really dynamic as well. I had an experience uh, where I was being kind of recruited for a reality TV show uh, 2011, 2012. And I had just so happened to be touring the country at the time. And I said, you know, I said, I'd be interested in the show. I'd be interested in it for telling a different story for African-American community, telling story of hope, um, you know, telling a story that's rebranded from what people view as thugs and you know only rap and you know professional athletes having the stage you know and uh and i said but i wouldn't be interested if it was stereo this was a show of stereotypes and at the end of the day and this is part of the reason why i have you know it's kind of like i'm like you know you guys are messed up too people in hollywood i'm so so progressive so progressive they <laughs> they have one image they want to portray and they cast it so at the at the at the yeah. end of the day, that's what it was. It ended up being a show. They had a specific image, a set, you know. So if I look at movies, if I look at reality TV shows, if I look at who they promote, right? Yeah. They're not actively trying to be part of the solution. So you know, I say, well, you know, I wish I could say there's hope from there. I I can't. I can't say I don't see hope on the Democratic yeah. side. I don't see hope on the Republican side. I really don't. I really don't. Yeah. I, I, all I see the hope for is what can I build to tell stories? What can yeah. I build in entrepreneurship yeah. to give people jobs? What can I build in culture that that changes people's lives? What art can I create that inspires people? That's so, you know, my my whole thing is I'm like, I've been advocating and fighting for this for years. You know, I don't I don't blast it out on Facebook. I go in the board meetings. I'm building relationships with people of power and I'm being real and I cannot be bought. That is what I'm I've been doing. Um, and so I think that. Yeah. And in fact, I'm taking a break off of social media and I already had it scheduled like three weeks ago. I was like taking a bump. I'm taking a break off of social media for June. I'll have my team, mm. Dale and Mia do all our social media content. And I'm I'm gonna take a break, and I'm just gonna you know focus on sales, focus on who I am, deep dive into all this stuff, and uh, and I think yeah. that sometimes people have to be willing to step back from the mess to really learn, to read, to reflect, to deep dive in. What are the emotions you're dealing with? Right? I'm dealing with trauma. I, we're, we, yeah. I'm dealing with trauma as a black man. I have to take care of myself. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I appreciate, like I'm I'm all yeah. for it and everything, but at the same time, I've been I had a tough week last week. So I gotta I can't take it's not like I'm gonna change the world all of a sudden in a in a week, two weeks by me being up on social media and getting agitated and dealing dealing with constantly seeing death on my feet. Yeah, wow. Right. Yeah. 
So, so I think, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm going to be creating content. I'll have Daniel push it out and post it up or whatever, but I think it's really, really important. Like you said, if you've dealt with trauma, if you've dealt with these issues to really, you know, to reflect, to take time to reflect and see, okay, what is going on? In fact, one of my friends just, he was, and I've, I've been thankful. This is different. This, this time is definitely different. I've had more people reaching out to me with empathy than I've ever had from CEOs mm-hmm. to friends to other people. Like I've been, I've been appreciative of that. Um, people, are, mm-hmm. I feel like people are starting to really get it. That hasn't happened to me before. Um, but one of the person, one of the people reached out to me and we started, we started, unpacking stuff and it wasn't even about the race the racial things it was about some other other things that were attached um and and i started seeing healing in my personal journey from that conversation i I said you in about and i looked at my phone i said you in 24 minutes i've unpacked some stuff that i didn't even recognize in the freaking last 15 years (laughs) so that's so that's what i i think you know i think it's really important you know like and so i i I thank you for this conversation because um it's eye-opening to to hear your your story because we haven't talked about it and like in a deep way like this um uh and so it's it's refreshing um to hear um and you know i'm you know, uh, I'm excited for everything that you're doing to bring people into your kitchen to 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 see this podcast make an impact on people's lives. Yeah, thanks, man. I um, I'd, I'd say probably for those who are listening and who have listened to this conversation, they're probably going to relate to it in one of two ways. And I guess if you've gone through trauma, I'd say the first thing to take away, and I'm sure you'd echo this is don't let that trauma define you. Yeah. And I think that's what I really admire about you living in St. Louis, going through what you've been through, um, even your brother and your family is not letting yeah. this define you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think that's such a powerful way to live. Yeah. It's easy to slip there. And probably what you're doing about taking a little bit of time just to reflect and to build internally and build what you're doing and gather your thoughts and gather your breath um, in the middle of it is so helpful in that yeah. of not letting them define you. Yeah. And, um, and then those who are on the outside of that is to understand that this is trauma and what you're seeing is just the outward demonstration of inward trauma that doesn't know how, doesn't know how, and I don't know if there is a right and a wrong way yeah. to be able to vent. Um, and especially when you, you you just don't know how to vent. Yeah. And so that's what you're seeing. You're seeing trauma. Yeah. And um, yeah. bro, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And um, really grateful to be able to chat with you. Yeah, this is a great conversation. Uh, it's it's uh, you know great to to see you. Great to see you. you look good, man. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Mary, Mary like treating you good, man. <laughs> I'm glad you made it back to Australia. I might be coming for a visit soon. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Are are you dating anyone or what's going on with you? (laughs) Um, We're still recording. (laughs)